Before I welcome on yet another amazing guest of the Live Inspired podcast, I wanted to extend my most sincere thank you to each and every one of you for listening in your car, on the bus, while you're training for your next 5K, however you're listening. You, my friends, are a critically important and valued member of our Live Inspired community. If you ever want to get in touch with me, I'm always available on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. And you can always send me an email anytime at your convenience to podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. Again, that email, podcast at johnolearyinspires.com. So let's dive into today's episode. You are going to love it. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Rudy Perez is one of the most iconic names in all of music. He has written over 300 top 10 songs. Listen to that again. More than 300 top 10 songs have been written by Rudy Perez. He has produced Beyonce, Julio Iglesias, Christina Aguilera, Natalie Cole, Michael Bolton, Mark Anthony, John Cicada, Cindy Lauper, and dozens and dozens of others. Billboard Magazine has named him the producer of the decade. He has released two albums, and many more notable artists featured on those albums. He has received over 500 gold and platinum album awards, earned 19 Grammy nominations, and won five different times. He's also got a new wonderful book out called The Latin Hit Maker. And as amazing as all of that is, the reason we are sharing his story with you today on the podcast is his humble heart, his faithful spirit, his wildly challenging early life, wait until you hear it, and how he pivoted from that into the new remarkable one that he enjoys today. My friends, you're in for a treat. You're in for an absolute treat. So I encourage you right now to buckle up You'll need it for this one. Open wide your journals, open even wider your hearts as we introduce you to a truly remarkable human being, his name, Rudy Perez. Rudy, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Wow, John, thank you for that intro. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible to me to hear, you know, somebody like you uh, introduce me that way. You know, it, it wasn't always that way. You know, I... <laughs> I was very poor and and came up from from you know from the bottom and when I was back in my first recording studio that I that I started working at and and I slept under the console in a mattress and didn't have anywhere to go um that scene mm. you know that introduction you just gave me seemed impossible and and just very far away so I'm grateful Well man what like I hinted at and we'll go deeper into it during our time together I'm not all that impressed by success. Like, it just doesn't do much for me, really, whether that's around accolades or awards, money, houses, whatever, likes on Facebook. What stuns me about your success is where it came from, where you came from, and the humility that you still have today, whether it's in spite of or because of where you are. So that's the story I'm so excited to share with our listeners and to learn more about myself. You grew up, my friend, in Cuba. 
for uh, our audience. The vast majority have never been there and far fewer were there during the 1960s. Can you share what Cuba was like when you were growing up? That was a beautiful time. You know, when I was born, I was born to a really close family. You know, we did everything together. We were happy. And then all of a sudden that uh, abruptly changed when Fidel Castro took over and my dad was, uh, was a lieutenant for Batista. Mm. So the moment Fidel took over and basically said to everybody, hey, I, I lied. I'm not going to be aligned with the U.S. I'm, I'm actually going to be aligned with the communist uh, Russia. And, and this is the way it's going to go down. And I'm a, a, basically a dictator. And everybody's going to be forced to have ration food and and everybody's, they're not going to be able to stay too much, too, too long in any work. They're going to be changed around. It was all really manipulated to a point where there was no freedom. You had uh, every block, there was a house mm. that would report to the government everything you did and who visited you. And if you didn't have chicken for that month and your ration and they smelled you were cooking chicken, you would you could be arrested and thrown in jail for years and years just for that. So I grew up with all of that. Then my dad obviously was desperate to try to get get us out. So he got caught and he was uh, put in prison for six years uh, as an anti-revolutionary. You know, that was tough uh, being my mom alone. And I still remember the bus rides that we used to go every Every other week, we would go visit my dad uh, on a, on a four-hour bus ride, and then about a a ten-mile walk mm. to to this to this jail. And and you know, finally, uh, my dad got to leave one day to be able to to come and visit his his mom, who was pretty ill at the time. And and uh, luckily for us, our papers arrived at that same week that he was at home. And we were able to, to leave the country, but we almost didn't make it because when we were walking towards the plane, the, these were called the, the freedom flights. It was uh, the very mm -hmm. last of them. It was like 1968. And we were, you know, we were wa walking towards the plane. Uh, alongside of us, there was these lines of military men with, you know, machine guns and and rifles. And, you know, just when we were got close to the stairs to the plane, this 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 military uh, soldier, you know, this he jumped right in front of my mom and said, "Everybody can go except you," and pointed to my mom. So we all started making such a, 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 a you know, a, a crying and and hysterically, you know, uh, screaming. And so basically, somebody came over and said, "What are you doing to the to the soldier?" And and he says, oh, I just told her she can't go. And, and the guy said, hey, you know, let them go. These kids got to stop screaming here. And luckily for us, we, we got on the plane, got to South Florida, Miami, where immediately I was thrown into the school system without knowing a word of, of English, which was really tough. And also, we didn't have any money. My dad found a place in, in probably the, the, the most dangerous and hardest neighborhood in South Florida, Miami, which is called Liberty City in Alapata. Mm -hmm. And I grew up there. I grew up with my dad, also a minister, and I grew up in church. So it was tough. It was a very, very tough childhood. But all along, I had the love of my parents and I had the my faith in, 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 in God. And I've always, you know, I always had the passion for music and I knew there was something better for me at the end of the of the road and and I knew that if I kept trying and just focus on my music I would actually get there 
And it wasn't easy because a lot of the old people would tell me, uh, hey, kid, don't dream that big. You know, <laughs> you, you're going to hurt yourself dreaming that big. You know, you're never going to leave this neighborhood. This is your future. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna retire here. You're going to work at the hardware store. Or you're going to be at the, uh, you know, at the gas station. You, you, you're never going to leave here. So don't dream about you're going to make all these things and you're going to create music and you're going to work with big stars. That's never going to happen for you. So I always felt they were they were either telling me what they truly felt or they were actually daring me to prove them wrong. You proved them wrong, and we'll talk about that as the conversation progresses. I'm going to back up just a little bit because I think your life and your character, your faith, your courage, your humility were shaped in Cuba, and they were shaped by the individuals who were guiding you forward. Your mom and dad are remarkable. Your grandparents are amazing. I'd like you to talk, though, about Uncle Enrique. Oh, my God. He was my my inspiration. He is responsible for me loving music. Although I believe God gives you that, and I'm always telling young people when I meet them who want to be in the music business, I always tell them, look, the first thing you need to understand is that you truly have the gift because it is a gift. You know, it's... Uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, how do you write songs? And, 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 I, and I always tell them because I can. And, and that's something that I, it's, it's bigger than I am. It, I have no control over it. It's second nature to me. And you have to also, you know, don't lie to yourself. If you don't feel just because you want to do something, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean you actually can do something. You have to really work hard and prepare yourself. And Enrique was, uh, my uncle Enrique was in, in the military. He was a soldier. He was 18 years old and he would go on these long trips for the army. And whenever, whenever he came back home, he would spend his time there just with his nephews and, and just having a great time. He would always play Elvis, the Beatles. He, I mean, he was a, he was a rock fan <laughs> and uh, we, we basically grew up listening to that. Then my mom, on the other hand, was would would listen she was a seamstress so she would play a lot of classical music she was a a big fan of chopin and debussy and you know puccini and she loved opera and so she was the influence influenced me uh on great great classical music and singers and then my dad on the other hand was very eclectic he loved the standards the american songbook standards I'm sure you know that Cuba during the 50s was mm -hmm. a big hub for Sinatra and a lot of the big stars, Nat King Cole, recorded there and they, they performed there many times, the Rat Pack. So my dad loved the standards and he also loved uh, our Queen of Salsa, which was Celia Cruz. And so I, I grew up with a very eclectic kind of uh, music scene in my family. And Enrique, unfortunately, passed away when he was very young at 19 years old. He had been sent to a mission uh, with an, about 20-something soldiers in a truck. And they were in, in the back of the truck, and uh, the, the driver fell asleep, uh, and they went over a cliff. Mm. And unfortunately, you know, there was a lot of soldiers dead, and some of them, a lot of them trapped under. And my uncle was known as Tarzan because he was so strong and he uh, somehow managed to lift the truck. He managed to lift the truck enough for all the living ones to be able to slide out to safety. And he still lived three days in the hospital 
he had a big screw, like a 14-inch screw that had gone through his brain, through his head. And he still managed to find the strength and be able to save all those people. So he became a superhero in our town, the whole town of Pinar, the Rio Cuba, which is a small country town. They all came out and paid their respects. They carried their, his casket all the way to the cemetery. And, and it was a big deal. And and he was a big influence on me. And, and I think that's where my passion for music really started. Mm. Well, we're going to speed the tape up just a little bit. You are eventually at age 13 in the United States. You're passionate because of Uncle Enrique and others about music. You want to get a guitar, but your family has no money at all. You want to get the guitar, you got no money. Tell us what happens. Yeah, I was like 12 years old and, and I fell in love with the white Stratocaster that Hendrix played in Woodstock. I fell in love with it. I, I saw it in a, in a music store and on the window, you know, and, and I said, oh, wow, I, I, I want this guitar. I, I want it so bad. You know, I went to my mom and I said, hey, mom, there's a guitar that I saw that I really want to buy and an amplifier. To It's an electric guitar. And so she said, okay, so what, how much is, does it cost? And I said, well, the guitar is 400 and, and 300 for the amp. And she goes, okay, you know, here's what you're going to do. You're going to find a job. You're going to save $700. And you're going to buy that guitar with your own sweat. And it's going to make you feel very good. And that's the way it's going to go down. Okay? So go back. Go go, go and study. And that's, that was my mom. My mom, I, I, you know, maybe she could have loaned me the money at that time. But she knew she had to make me strong and be able to figure it out on my own. Because we were living in tough city in a tough town and and she just couldn't give me everything like we tend to do these days with our own kids you know we give them mm -hmm. everything and then they have so much that they don't know what to go out and get <laughs> you know well, that, that, correct there are no real needs you grew up with many needs and including candidly the need to belong yes the, the vulcan gang man this this is a, a group talk about the vulcan gang and what they represented and and how your experience with them ended up probably saving your life yeah the vulcans were a delinquent gang it, let's put it that way it wasn't a a football club like we like everybody thought we were you know we, yeah we had our football games and we had the jerseys and everything but but it was a delinquent gang. I mean, they were doing crazy stuff back in the day. And, and I would stay away from them as much as I could. And my father, my mom always warned me about them. But one day, you know, they got to me and they said, you're coming with us. And you're, 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 you're going to be a part of the gang and you're going to be initiated and, and all this stuff. And I had no choice but to abide because you could not turn them away, John. I mean, there was no way if you did. You could be beaten to death or you could be just uh, harassed for the rest of your life mm. and your family. And they would, you know, do really bad things to you and your family. So I had to participate, unfortunately. I, God knows that I did not enjoy any of the things that I did with them. Luckily for me, I one of my first orders from them, uh, we got caught, luckily for me, because you know, I, I got sent to juvenile uh, school. I learned my lesson. I thought these guys were my friends. You know, when you're in an inner city, 
you want love? Do you want somebody to care for you? And, and these guys always pretended they were my family. They truly care for me. That's how they indoctrinate you. That's how they get to you. And they, they tell you, oh, your family had too busy. They don't care about you. But don't worry, we're going to take care of you. And so I looked at them as a family, a true family and friends. And, and, and although the gang was hundreds of, of members, there was about 20 of us that, that were inseparable. I had to learn a big lesson that they were no friends of mine. When I got put away, these guys really didn't care about me. And so I got on my knees like I always do and said, hey, God, I am sorry. I, I, I forgive me for everything. I've learned my lesson. You, you have taught me a lesson. Let me go into what I really should be doing, which is music. I promise you that if I get out of here, and when I get out of here, I will never, ever again get into trouble. And you know what, John? I'm happy to say I don't. I haven't even had a ticket, a parking. <laughs> I can't claim the same thing, unfortunately. Just ask my my poor wife, who ends up paying all of them. You, <laughs> so you you hit your knees, you make that prayer, you make that offering, and then the right people begin, I think, showing up in your life. Talk about your father's good friend. I think his name is Orlando Louise. And his quote to you is, man, be the artist, be the artist. Talk about Rolando and talk about the quote, be the artist. Yeah, Rolando Uiz was a really dear friend of my dad. They had been in prison together. They, he was a musician. He had played behind Nat King Coles, Frank Sinatra. I mean, this guy was a great teacher, music teacher, a trombonist, and uh, also played piano. And so and I said to my dad, I really want to get serious about studying music. I really want to, you know, learn the craft. And he said to me, you know, we don't, we can't pay uh, for a school. You know, he introduced me to Rolando Luis and he took me in. He said, you know, I'm going to give him free lessons. You know, I'm going to teach him how to sight read notation and, and how to write it. And so I started learning by the time I'm, I'm like so meticulous, John, I'm, I'm like the I'm the kind of person that when I set my my head, my my mind to something, you know, I go into it deep. Mm -hmm. And I started progressing at a at a speed level that he could not believe. Yeah, uh, six weeks into my my lessons with him, I was sight reading anything you put in front of me, and I was playing incredible. And he saw that in me, and he saw that that I had that hunger for studying and becoming a really fine, incredible musician. But when he discovered it, uh, a few months later, he discovered that I had the gift of melody, that I could write a melody. Because there's a lot of great musicians, believe it or not, that are amazing mus uh, musicians and executionists, but they are not great uh, mm -hmm. melodic guys. They can't come up with a melody. They can't write it on their own. But yet, you give them a Gershwin piece, and they'll play it like if they had written it, but they don't have the gift of writing that melody like Gershwin had. And... And so when he discovered that in me, he sat me down one time and, and he said, hey, Rudy, listen, I, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you a little story. I've played with everybody. My, my entire career has been in a, as an accompanist. I've been behind the biggest stars in the world. And you know what? I have nothing to show for it. He said to me, you have the gift of writing melody. You can sing. I want you to be the artist. I want you to write the songs that the biggest stars do. Don't just settle for being a musician and a backup guy. Become the artist. Own the record company. That completely changed my path. Rudy, how old were I, you when, when he was offering this advice? About 13. 
your mom comes across so clearly as one of the great heroes in this story. When she gets diagnosed with cancer, how does that hit you individually? How does it hit you as a man, as a son? How does it affect you? Oh my God, that, that was a, the the biggest blow because I was so I was so close to my mom. My mom was everything to me. I never got a tattoo because my mom said, "If you get a tattoo, you have no mother." I, I was in a rock band. I, I I wanted to have a tattoo. I, my friends were getting it, and I wanted it. And so my mom was that 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 powerful in my life. She there was nothing that I wouldn't share with her. Uh, there was nothing that 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 I would not talk with her. She was just uh, the the greatest lady, and and she always gave me so much love, and she sacrificed so much for me. She never she never saw her parents again after she left Cuba. She she left everything just to get us to freedom and to this amazing country that has given me so much. Your father, yeah, again another hero, man. A, a whole series could be done on your father's life. You shared, though, that there were two things he taught you after after mom died. Number one, faith in God, and secondly, finding love again. Yes. Talk about both those, finding faith in God and finding love again after tragedy. I'm sure you can identify with this because uh, you've gone through so many things, John, on your own. When my mom died, I, I blamed my brother. I blamed my little brother, you know, that had gotten himself in such deep trouble because I knew she was devastated. My brother had meningitis when he was born. He didn't walk for, for until he was three and a half years old. He didn't speak for until he was four years old. He was like my mom's everything. And so when he went to prison at 21 years old, I know that just that emotional stress killed my mom. And that's when my dad actually came to me and said, "You look, you got to forgive. Mm. You got to forgive because if you don't forgive, you will always carry that poison in you. And that's your brother. And, you know, he did a stupid thing, but you just got to forgive him. And and that's when I really started getting closer to God than ever. Because um, my dad said, look, let me, let, me, let me show you what I'm talking about. And he started reading Bible verses to me. And he started telling me about, about Jesus, how he forgave everybody and all the things that, that the scriptures uh, teach us. He just taught me that that love and faith and, and forgiveness was everything. And that's when I said, okay, I'm able to forgive my brother now. And today we're tighter than we've ever been. You know, he's fixed his life. You know, I'm grateful to God that, that my brother is doing great. He's married. He's got a wonderful, he's got grandchildren. Everything turned out for the best. And my dad uh, was the one that actually started that Something that you helped create is, I think, an incredibly powerful song called Live to See Another Day. Oh, yes. Talk about it. This is one of the, the, the fascinating things in my life. That's why when you started off and you introduced me with that kind uh, introduction, I, I, I told you I just can't believe it because, uh, you know, I'm sitting in my house one day. And, and I get a call from Zach Horowitz, who was the chairman at the time of, of Universal Music. And he says, hi, Rudy, how are you? It's Zach Horowitz. I'm, I'm like, hey, Zach, what a great pleasure to receive your call. How are you doing? He goes, hey, you know, yesterday was Burt Bacharach's 85th birthday. And I called him. I said to him, hey, Burt, let me ask you something. You just came back from a, from a European tour. You're, you're constantly 
touring and still working and so active. Any plans of slowing down? And Bert said, no, I'm going to I'm going to go until I can. He goes, and what do you want to do now, Bert? You know, at this point of your life, you've written some of the greatest, most iconic songs of all time. You know what he said to me, Rudy? Zach says to me, I want to write a song with Rudy Perez. Mm. And that was shocking to me because I don't know any musician from my time that didn't want to be Burt Bacharach. You know what I mean? That's Bird was like our idol. Every one of us looked up and still does look up to Bird. So two days later, I'm on a plane to L.A. I get to L.A. I get to I get in a really early flight. So I'm at Bird's house by 11 in the morning. <laughs> And his beautiful home in Malibu, and and uh, and you know, I, I, I he comes out to greet me, basically in his pajamas, you know, <laughs> and 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 he goes, Rudy, thank you so much for the for making the effort to come out here, and 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 work with me. And I said, uh, you know, Mister Backerack, he says, please call me Bert. And I said. You, I chewed all my all my nails in, in the plane. That's, I'm so nervous. I, I I don't know what I must have done that God is repaying me, you know, to 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 be with you. You know, you don't have no idea how much I admire you and everything. And he, and he goes, you know, it's funny you mention you say that, Rudy, because I also chewed my nails too. I was so nervous that you were coming, and it was just a delightful sweetheart, you know, and so. Uh, before we go into his music room, he gives me a tour uh, of his uh, award trophy room. Man, John, I saw Grammys that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> there was Grammys like made out of wood, you know, little ones, <laughs> tiny ones. That were, I mean, he had like 29 Grammy awards. He had four Oscars or three Oscars and I don't know how many Emmy awards and Tonys. I mean, insane so uh, so we get into his music room and he tells his assistant not to bother us until we come out. He sits at the piano and I asked him, I said, Bert, man, why? Why do you want to work with me? It's, it's, it's incredible. It's mind boggling to me. You know, you don't even know really my work. And he goes, oh, you wrong, Rudy. He said, you know, lately when I listen to what I love that reminds me of the pop in my time, is romantic Latin music mm. and romantic country music. Every time I have heard anything that's exceptional and extraordinary and beautiful, it had your name attached to it. So, my friend, you belong here. I'm so happy you came out. Why don't we write something important? That's what he said to me, exactly in those words. And, and so we started writing. We wrote three melodies what comes first, Rudy, when you're doing something like this, and really in any project, is it the words, is the pace, the melody, the rhythm? Bert, as you know, is 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 a hundred percent melody writer. He he seldom writes lyrics, and and he he although he may suggest a title, which is really what what the the bread and butter of a songwriter is a a title. One of my famous stories is uh, the song I co-wrote with David Foster. Uh, called Ayer, that translates into yesterday, uh, for Luis Miguel, a very big uh, superstar in the Latin world. And, uh, you know, he had commissioned me and David Foster to write the song for for this new album he was doing. And he was coming off of an album that had sold like 7 million units. And so it was a big challenge. Here we are, David and I, 
we're, we're hey, we have to come up with the single for his next album after selling seven million copies. No pressure, <laughs> you know. So, so I started, I started writing and writing and writing. We had the melody with Jeremy, Jeremy Lubbock and and David and I, and and, and but we didn't have the lyrics. So I started writing lyrics and writing lyrics. And three days later, I was throwing papers and, and, and the trash can and, and, and so frustrated because nothing, nothing that I wrote felt like it was worthy or it was at the level of what was asked of, of us. After 16 days of that and frustration, my wife, my angel, Betsy, comes over to me and says, uh, okay, enough. And you're torturing yourself. Tonight, you're going to leave it alone. And you're going to pick it up tomorrow, okay? Tonight, I'm going to make you a dinner. And we're going to watch a movie together. And I came across this movie that was starting with Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve. It was called Somewhere in Time. And I remember looking at this movie with my wife. And at the end of the movie, I said, wow, this is a story I'm going to write about. A person who meets the love of their life in a dream. And just by staring at a picture... They go back a hundred years before their time and finds his love in a dream. And, and I said, that's a story. And I went into and just God gave me all the words, the perfect words. And finally, when it, when it became a hit and, and, it, and the sales went 11 million units, it was like, wow, thank you, God. And thank you for my wife. That whole thing would have never been if it wasn't for that moment in time where she actually came in and said enough. Rudy, you, you have performed on every stage around the world. And if you haven't been there physically, your heart and the music that you've helped create has everywhere. Yeah. Do, do you prefer being in front of that live audience and experiencing the buzz of people and hearts and hands looking back at you? Or do you prefer being kind of in the basement and the bowels of it all in that creative space where you're helping produce and then architect this so that what you create quietly is then eventually sung out loud to the arenas? Well, I started just wanting to be a singer-songwriter, singing my own songs, writing my own music, being in front of an audience, just like I had been for five years with a band, you know, six nights a week. I was the front man of Pearly Queen. I really love telling stories and talking to people. And, you know, but my path completely changed when I met my idol and my mentor, Jose Feliciano. You know, I had gotten signed to RCA Records and they sent me out after I finished my album. They sent me out to to do promotion, and I got to Puerto Rico to to promote my single. And I and I saw my idol Jose Feliciano there, my my hero, my musical hero. Jose was uh, to me when I was in the hood. He was an inspiration. You know, I said, okay, he is Hispanic. He is blind. He's got all these things going against him but hey you know what he has not he's he's conquered the world he's he's got the the, the number one tv series chico and the man the music is his he's constantly on 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 all these shows the the don kirshner's rock concert and the midnight special and he had his own tv special and he was on johnny carson and and so i i would say to myself if jose made it i have a shot mm. i can I have a shot. He's, you know, because he did it. And so when I finally saw him in front of me after getting off in an, an, uh, from an elevator and I see across and there's this beauty salon and he's there getting a manicure <laughs> and, and he's there with a bunch of people, a big entourage. 
And I just walked up to him and I said, I said, uh, Mr. Feliciano, I'm such a fan. My name is Rudy Perez. I'm signed to RCA. And, and he goes, hey, Rudy, yeah, man, I, you know, Jose Menendez played me your album in his office last week in New York. As a matter of fact, there's a song on your album that I love so much that I would like to re record it on my new album. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. So he said, it goes like this. And he sings the, a piece of the chorus. So, you know, I, 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 he invites me. He says, hey, you have any more songs like that? But we're going up to, to our suite. Do you want to join us? And, and I said, sure. So I went up there and he hands me a guitar and says, play me some more songs. So every song I played him, he would say, I want that one too. And that one too. Yeah, I'm going to record that one. And, and he, he, he tells his manager, Rick, this is the young man that I've been waiting for. This guy has the new stuff. The new, this is new blood, fresh. This is great songs. You know what? I want him to produce my record and to be my songwriter. This guy was not happy about that. You know, Rick, uh, he said, Jose, you know, with all due respect to Rudy, he's very talented, you know, but you're working with the biggest people in the, in, in the, in, in the world. You got the number one producer and Jose, you know, keeps, uh, every time he would say something, Jose would say, yeah, well, you know, uh, I was, uh, nobody wants to, you know, and so they kept going back and forth and he goes, but Jose, what are we going to do? What are we going to tell RCA? And, you know, they gave the producer an advance and yeah, this is going to cause all these problems. And, you know, and so Jose basically said, look, just tell them that change of plans to give the money, uh, to get the money back from the producer. And the things have changed that Rudy is now the guy. And basically there is no album. I'll keep touring unless Rudy is involved. And that was it. He fought for me. And I remember calling Betsy and saying, you know, honey, I got this happened. And she goes, okay, I want you to believe half of it. That way it doesn't shock you when, it, if it falls through, you know, just, just, just have faith, but don't, not, not your whole heart, because I know it, it always breaks your heart. Because I had had other famous people that have seen me in the studio, have met me, and I would play my songs, and basically they promised me stuff, and then they, you know, they developed amnesia, as I call it, mm. you know. <laughs> but uh, but not Jose. Jose. A month later, I was flown to L.A. and I worked with him, and I, I we did an incredible album, and that album was nominated for Album of the Year and Song of the Year for the American Grammys. And, you know, right after that, I, the first guy that calls me because of that success, because, you know, in this business, John, it's, it's all about, uh, you know, basically word of mouth and other artists picking up somebody, art, some artist that they like and saying, oh, who did that? Oh, that guy was John. That's the guy that produces, you know, and they call you. So I, I basically got called by Julio Iglesias and I started working with all these big stars because of all that. And... <laughs> Three years later, I go to RCA and I say, hey, guys, what about my singing career? I had an album, remember, when before all this started, uh, you know, and now I'm giving my songs to all these guys. Uh, should we start revisiting my own career? And they handed me a $300,000 check and said, no, here's an advance for a, some future productions that we want you to do. We want you to stick to producing and songwriting and we'll, we'll take a look at that stuff down the line mm -hmm. and you know what it never happened it it it, it uh it's you know i just 
I just went along and I said, okay, you know what? Uh, maybe I'm not good enough as a singer. Maybe I'm not good enough as a performer. I'm just going to be the best that I could be behind the scenes and, and, and I'm going to be a spotlight. And till this day, when people says, ask me, what if you could say in one word what a producer or a songwriter does, what, what, what is that word? I always say spotlight mm. because that's what we do. We actually get turned on to shine, on, to, to light up somebody, to make them shine and make them look, look amazing and, and for everybody to see. And that was my job. And I owe that to Tom Dowd because uh, at the beginning of my career, when I was selling millions of records behind the scenes and I was the invisible man and nobody would care to do an interview with me or put a put me in some kind of a press uh, written media article you know i would be very frustrated just to be ignored and and i knew that I, we were selling so much and and it was so successful that i i couldn't believe that i was not getting the cred the credit for it so i was very frustrated and i would tell people hey man listen to this production i did forget about the singer he sucks and forget <laughs> about this you know uh, listen to my work, my singing, my production, my writing. my. And one day I did that with Tom Dowd. I, I approached him and I said, Tom, check this album out. And he says to me, come here for a minute. And he shows me the, the, the album cover, uh, back cover. And he says, what, what does that say right there? And, and, and it said, produced and arranged by Rudy Perez. And, and he said to me, listen, do me a favor, kid. Why don't you focus on the singer and make sure he has the greatest songs that he ever sung? And make sure that he sounds better than he ever did. And maybe somebody will take a, you know, will, will, will try to find out who the guy behind this was. And they'll discover you, okay? And he throws the record back at me. Mm. And that changed my whole, you know, outlook and, and way of actually going into production. From that moment on, I say, wait a minute, he's right. It's not about me. It's not about, it's about me making somebody look good. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure from this day on that the person that's the picture, the main picture on the cover is protected and it's, and sounds better than they ever did and has the best songs they ever had. And that's what, that's, what's going to get me noticed. And sure enough, that's what happened. Exactly what happened after I started doing, going for that approach, I started getting the recognition and people started, you know, giving me Grammy awards and all this other stuff. Rudy Perez, we have seven questions that tether all of our amazing guests together. And I, I can't think of anyone who has a more amazing life story and humble heart than the guy I've got on the phone call right now. The first question is, Rudy Perez, what is the best book you have ever read? Wow, the Bible. <laughs> is there a book within the Bible that you would say, man, if I, if I had to call out one as my favorite, it is this one? Job. What, what is it about Job? everything was taken away from him and he never denied God. He never betrayed God. He never, they took everything. And when he was completely ruined and his family devastated, he still thanked God and God gave him everything he had before, but triple. Mm. And so, so that's a very inspiring story. We have listeners whose daughter, uh, experienced an in injury and uh, was in the hospital for seven days. On the seventh day, they sent out an email that the daughter had passed away. This daughter was less than two, about a year and a half years old. Aww. And uh, they ended the email 
by quoting Job. And the, the quote that I remember was, uh, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. And with that, they signed off. And, oh. and I get emotional thinking about it, but to be able to love God during the sunny days and the rainiest days is uh, right. somehow the calling, man. It's a difficult one to accept. It is, man. I'm so sorry for that family. I, my, my condolences and, 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 you know, my prayers go out to them. I appreciate that. What, what, what is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child in Cuba that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly and as brightly today? I guess my tenacity, you know, I, I've always been a kid that just couldn't sit still. I, I, I was curious. That, I guess that's the word, I, the, how curious I was about everything, you know, because mm. that's curiosity is so important. And, and I wish a lot of the young musicians today would be more curious about the, the greats of the past. Yeah. Because they would really learn something. You know, I think they, they're limiting themselves to the music they're doing and not really going back. And then you have guys like that's winning every year, the, 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 the Grammys and winning album of the year and best everything every year for the last few years is Bruno Mars who has actually tapped into the retro and greats of the past and incorporated to his new sound. I wish there was more kids that are curious like that. So I would say that trade has always been um, something that got me to success. Rudy, if your home caught fire and those two dogs of yours, your family, your beautiful wife, that by the way, we could have spent an hour talking about her. She's remarkable. Thanks. But if she and everyone else, friends and family, dogs are out of the home, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What's that one item you would come running back outside with? I would say my guitar, man. Which one? My guitar, my the guitar that, that Betsy bought me. You know that I still have my Martin. You know, I, I would, I would, I would take that immediately, and you know, because I always tell Betsy, you know, jokingly around sometimes, honey, if you ever divorce me, don't worry, <laughs> take everything, just give me a guitar. <laughs> You're three and a half decades in with Betsy. Is that right? 36 years. I don't think she's going anywhere, man. So you can hold on to Betsy <laughs> and that white guitar. If you could sit on a... My, my everything. If you could sit on a bench, Rudy, on a gorgeous day overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone, anyone at all, living or dead, who would you want to have seated right next to you? Wow. That... I guess... I guess it would have to be... Beethoven or somebody, somebody like that. So one of those geniuses that I that I look so much up to, because you know I would like to I I, I would I would have definitely loved to have met some of my my heroes like that. But it would it would be somebody like that, Beethoven or Bach. You know, for me, I think that most of the music we're creating today, I'm not sure in 300 years if if they're going to be listening to it in their ear pods or whatever they're listening to in 300 years. The fact that Beethoven and Bach are still wildly relevant. Like the, the music's as fresh today as I'm sure as it was the first time I played it in concert hall. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, can you imagine one of those guys with the technology that we have today? <laughs> you, it's a, it's a remarkable what we're doing today. And, and I can only imagine those geniuses. Rudy, what's the best advice you've ever received? Well, I think the best advice is uh, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Just love, love everybody, love, 
That's that's what the world needs. Like Burt Bacharach says, what the world needs now is love. Mm. Love, sweet love. And that's why that song that you pointed out that I co-wrote with him, uh, that song was written because of the the shootings in school and the gun violence in, in school. You know, live to see another day is our prayer. And so we wrote that and we did it with all our hearts. And, you know, we gave 100% of the proceeds of that song, the Sandy Hook Foundation, which was one of the ones that really touched me. You know, all those toddlers yes. and all young kids uh, being shot like that. It, it was It was very difficult for me. That kind of stuff really hurts me. Any cruelty to children, to to animals, I, I, it just devastates me, John. Well, Rudy Perez, rather than just being devastated and angry, you do something about it. And I just think that's remarkable. So the final question for you, my friend and creator and musician and leader and lover and guide is this. It has been said that all great people, and I'm speaking to one right now, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Rudy Perez, how would you like your one sentence to read? He was the guy that did everything and never said he did anything. <laughs> Humbleness. Uh, I hear it loud and clear. So of our friends listening right now, my friends, that that is a conversation that we've been having with Rudy Perez, a guy who uh, was part of everything but never admitted to it. Always shine the spotlight brightly on worthy causes and beautiful things, including people. Rudy, I want to thank you for the time today. Oh, my God, John. I'm so grateful to you. And, and, and you know, uh, I hope that everybody takes this uh, interview, uh, uh, you know, as an example of two guys. Because I know <laughs> your struggles, too, and my struggles are are hard. But, you know, here we are, and, and we're grateful for everything we got. And, and just don't give up on your dreams. Just keep following them. and. No matter if you're if you're speaking to somebody that's constantly telling you no about your dreams, just get up and go because you're speaking to the wrong person. <laughs> great advice from a great man. My friends, that is Rudy Perez. I am John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live inspired. Well, thanks for joining me on today's Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, make sure that you rate and review us. It really does help to spread the word and it ensures that people can more easily find our podcast. We are available for free. That's good news at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else that you are streaming your audio. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information on what you've heard today and how to apply it in your life. We've got a lot of awesome episodes lined up for you in the next couple of weeks, and I'll be looking forward to welcoming you back next time. My friends, today is your day. Live inspired.